This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of James, James chapter 1, uh, we're continuing our series entitled Practical Christianity, we're going verse by verse through the book of James, and it is such an amazing book. <coughs> James chapter 1, uh, again, James is writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered, these are new Christians, uh, this would have been one of the first books of the New Testament that was written. Um, in, in chronological order, one of the first ones that was written is probably the last book that was added to the canon of Scripture. Uh, again, we took a look at canonicity and things like that in, in our first uh, message in the series. We won't go over that, but probably one of the first New Testament books that was written timeline-wise, probably one of the last books that was added to New Testament canon. But John, uh, I'm sorry, James is writing to a group of Christians who really don't know anything about Christianity other than what he's telling them. Again, at this point, there's no book of Romans that outlines the doctrine of, of who Jesus Christ is and why he came. There's no gospel of John speaking of Jesus Christ as God uh, incarnate in the flesh. Uh, at this point, there's, there's no other Paul's letter that hasn't written any letters to any churches yet. And so James is kind of filling in the gap, telling them, hey, guys, I know this might be new for you, but here's how Christians live. And so James isn't really heavy on doctrine at all. There's not really a lot of doctrinal statements that we find in the book of James. It's just a lot of practical Christian living. Now that you're a Christian, here's how you should live. And in chapter 1 especially, James leads them back time and time and time again to the Word of God. Now, mind you, at this point, all they had was the Old Testament. But again, he says, that's good. You need to continue to go back to that. It will provide guidance. It will give you wisdom. It will help you to understand. Again, he tells us that when it comes to the Word of God, that we should be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to wrath uh, when we receive the word and allow the word to do the work. And so, so here at Huikala, uh, we take the word of God very, very seriously. It is the foundation of everything that we do. It's the reason why we gather to hear the word preached and taught uh, to us. What should we do with it now? How do we uh, implement that in our lives? How do we use the word of God as seed to plant in our lives so that good fruit can grow as a result of it? Uh, that's what we do every single Sunday of the world. And so we find ourselves in James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 21 here tonight. And we're going to read through, um, let's see, probably verse number 20, 25, yeah, 21 through 25. James chapter 1, starting verse number 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive the meekness of the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verse number 22 is one of those verses you should circle, star, underline in your Bible. You should commit that verse to memory because it's critical. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we see here, James challenges them. It's not enough to just know a lot about the Bible. You need to make sure that you're doing what you know. It's interesting to me, the longer that I pastor, I find people who really want to know the Bible so that they can implement it in their lives. There's other people that want to know the Bible because they want to feel really smart. Uh, there's a man several years ago that attended our church, and, and he came to me and says, Pastor, you know, uh, this is my last Sunday at Hui Kala. I said, man, are, are you leaving? Did you get transferred in work? He said, no, I'm looking for a new church. And I said, hey, just help me to be a better pastor. Help me to understand why you're looking for another church. And he said, well, this church here doesn't really go deep and study the Bible. It's just kind of surface Christianity. And, and wow, man, help me to understand that. I, I want to... Uh, uh, I want to understand where you're coming from. He's like, it seems like, you know, that uh, you don't really dig deep into the deep things of the Bible. And I said, well, what does that mean? He was like, uh, prophecy, end times, and the book of Revelation. And I was like, 
we're a new church. We're just kind of trying to lay a foundation on how do we walk with Jesus. And I said, the majority of people in our church don't need to know about the seven seal judgment of the book of Revelation. They just need to know, how do I live for Jesus on Monday morning at work? And so that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm sure if, we, if you hang around long enough, at some point we'll get to the book of Revelation. Maybe we'll have a series on prophecy. Maybe we'll take a look at end times at some point. But right now, that's just not a priority for us. And he said, I just, every time I leave here, it's just so clear to me what I'm supposed to do from the Bible and how I'm supposed to apply it. Thanks. Uh, here's what he said. No lie, no lie. That's not a compliment. Uh, okay. Explain that to me. And he says, I think when you read the Bible and you get really deep into it, you should leave confused. <laughs> what? The fact that I can leave here every Sunday and know exactly what I'm supposed to do from the Bible and how that applies to my life, like, I don't get the opportunity to have to think about it on my own throughout the week, and I, and I should leave here confused. No. God is not the author of confusion, the Bible says, but God's the author of peace. And, and Adrian Rogers is one of my favorite preachers to listen to. He used to pastor the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and he's a like, southern country preacher. Man, he's a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, he, he's with the Lord now, but outstanding uh, Bible preacher. But he has these like little one-liners. And like I want to be like Adrian Rogers to have these funny one-liners that he says, but he would often say, just because the water's muddy doesn't mean that it's deep. Uh, and and the, the idea behind that is just because you leave confused doesn't mean what they said was really deep. It might just mean that they, they're confusing in the way that they present it. And so, but here's the interesting thing about this guy who wanted to go deep into studying the Bible and he wanted to go to deep uh, into to understanding the word and things like that. He had one of the foulest mouths of anybody that I've ever known in our church. He drank alcohol on the weekends. He had a girlfriend uh, who would come out and visit from the mainland uh, for times, weeks at a time and would stay in his apartment with him uh, and, and knew that for a fact that they were in an inappropriate uh, physical relationship. But he wanted to know the deep things of the Bible. It's like, bro, you need to understand baseline Christianity first. Like, you, you can't willingly rebel against the simple, clear-cut things that even an unsaved man would know you're not supposed to do, yet want more from God's Word. It just doesn't work that way. And that's what James would say to someone like that as well. Hey, look, you don't need to uncover the deep secrets of the Bible as much as you just need to obey what you already know. And so, a lot of Bible knowledge, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you proud. Knowledge makes you think that you're better than everyone else. Uh, there's a man when we were uh, just had just moved into uh, the other side of our building almost eight, it would have been eight years ago because we were still getting the front portion of it ready and we were in there painting every day and doing construction projects and he lived in a condo across the street. He came over one day, he knocked on the door, he said, he said, hey, tell me about your church. And I said, we're a brand new church, we're getting ready to get started in the middle of uh, October. I'd love to have you come visit. He's like, I'm not really a church-going guy. Uh, oh, okay. Um, and he said, um, you know, tell me about your background. And I said, well, I went to college in California, I served on staff for 10 years there, and then we felt like God was leading us here, and so we planted a church here and had our first Sunday. He said, how many people are you going to have? Five for sure. <laughs> Guaranteed five. Uh, I said, anything after that is just a blessing. And he kind of laughed about it. And I said, um, tell me your, your background. And he said, well, and, you know, he's a, he was a psychologist or a therapist or something along those lines and stuff like that. And I said, oh, I said, where'd you go to school for that? He said, uh, Southern California. I said, man, we lived in Southern California for 10 years. And we talked about California for a little bit and we talked about some in and out and things like that. And we had a good, good chat. And so he said, well, you know, uh, my uh, undergraduate is from a full, my undergraduate and one of my masters, one of his masters was from Fuller Theological Seminary. No kidding. Tell me about that. Well, you know, he said he's undergraduate. I forget what it was under, biblical studies or something like that. And then he, his um, master's degree was in ancient biblical languages. And I said, is that like Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic? He goes, 100%. And so I said, like, you could sit down with the Hebrew Old Testament and read it. He goes, yep. He, is, he said, Man, for a long time when I was in college, I'd read, the, read my, my daily devotional readings out of the Greek New Testament. Well, that's impressive, you know. <laughs> And I'm just like, wow, that's incredible. And I said, where do you go to church now? He was like, oh, I don't, I don't go to church. I haven't been to church in 20 years. <laughs> what? <laughs> what happened? I, I just never really saw a whole lot of value in it. And so I had the opportunity to go through the gospel and in about five minutes or so with him, was not saved 
But here's the thing. Here's an unsaved guy that knows more about the Bible's languages than I'll never know in my lifetime. The guy knows Bible words that would just flat out confuse me. I, I don't even know what you're getting at there. And this guy wanted to, you know, as we're talking, you know, he would be the type of guy who would talk about the aorist tense of this verb or the, uh, the predicate knowledge of, the, of this particular phrase and things. Look, I struggled with English, and I barely got by in Greek in college, barely by the skin of my teeth. But this guy, so far past that. But what would James say to somebody like that? Hey, it's great that you know a lot about the Bible, but you need to obey the Bible. And so, so James here talks a lot about uh, God's word. Again, if we just see this uh, passage of scripture that we're in, in James chapter one, so many things he says about the word of God. And uh, as we look through what the Bible says about the Bible, Jeremiah speaks of the word of God as, if, as a hammer. David said the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Moses said the word of God is like bread. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews says the word of God is like a sharp sword. Jesus said the word of God is like seed. And James says that the word of God is, here's our idea for tonight, like a mirror. A mirror basically just shows us a reflection of who we are. And outside of the uh, mirrors that you see at the, at the, the fair, when you go to the fair and the, you go into the fun house with all the big distorted mirrors, if you get just like a regular old mirror that's hanging on the wall, it's going to show you exactly what you look like. And James in this passage tells us that the word of God is a mirror that looks at our lives. Now, if you look at a mirror and you don't like what you see, you don't go buy a new mirror, do you? You fix what's broken. But here's the problem with many Christians when they come to the Word of God and the Word of God points out something that is uncomfortable for them or needs to change. They try to find a different mirror. Well, I don't like the way that the Bible identifies that sin in my life, so I'm going to find a group that affirms that sin in my life and I'm going to feel better about myself. I don't really like the way that that church preaches on sin a lot. I don't like the idea of talking about hell or God's judgment upon mankind. I want something that's a little bit happier. And so let me find a different mirror that fits me better. But James says it doesn't work that way. If you don't like what you see, then you need to change what you see. You see, as we look at this passage again, verse number um, 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That word glass means looking at himself in a mirror. And beholdeth himself, he goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. He stops by, he looks at the mirror, and he sees how messed up he is, and he goes on anyways. Be like me waking up in the morning, my hair's all messed up, and I haven't shaved uh, for the day, and, and my beard's going all sideways, and I haven't brushed my teeth, and I stop and I look in the mirror and goes, Looks good to me and go on with my life. Man, that's a problem. My wife and I, when we uh, uh, first met, uh, we had the opportunity uh, a few weeks ago to, to travel back to New Orleans and Pensacola, Florida. And we met in Cordova Mall at the Gap. Uh, and the Gap in Cordova Mall is no longer there. It's now a Sephora, which I think is kind of symbolic in some way. Uh, but anyways, um, but I remember the, the very first place that we had our first conversation uh, they had asked for volunteers that day to come in early before the store opened and to, to clean the fitting rooms and clean the uh, back area of that. And so they said, wear work clothes because you're going to get dirty. If you got a shift afterwards, you got clothes to change into. And so I roll up there in, in T-shirt and shorts, uh, and I basically, I grab what was ever on the bottom of my laundry pile, and I threw it on, and I get there. And uh, I'm standing at the back door, and I'm knocking on the back door because it was locked. And the, my wife, who is the assistant store manager, opens the door. She looks me up and down, and she says, do you own an iron? I said, like, excuse me? She said, do you own an iron? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm here to, to clean the fitting rooms. And she goes, well, if you own an iron, I suggest you use it. And she turned around and walked off. And I was just like, wow. Like, they asked for volunteers to come help clean, and I volunteered, and this is how you treat your volunteers? Like, well, little did I know that that encounter, there was a foreshadowing of all the things that would come in our lives. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that was a key moment of just like, wow, here's how things are going to go from here on out. Um, 
No, no lie, uh, this, this is a true statement. We had uh, gotten back from our honeymoon and we moved into to our apartment together in, in Pensacola and we're getting ready to go to bed one night and uh, she turns on the iron before she goes to bed and I'm thinking to myself, she's going to iron my uniform for tomorrow and you know, what, like this is what marriage is. You know, your wife irons your uniform before you go to bed because so I would get up before her in the morning and she's going to make sure that my uniform's ironed before I, I, I go to work. Like, hello. And she takes her pajama pants and she lays the drawstring out and she irons the drawstring of her pajama pants. Then she takes the other drawstring and she irons it flat. And then she irons her pajama pants and then she puts them on and gets in bed. I was like, what was that? And she was like, what do you mean? What are you doing? And she was like, you know how your drawstrings get twisted? No, I understand that your drawstrings get twisted. Why do you iron them before you go to bed? And she was just like, doesn't everybody do that? No, they don't. And then I thought to myself, I've already married her. What have I gotten myself into? You know? <laughs> but the idea of like looking at yourself, knowing that you're not okay and moving on anyways, is just a, a foreign concept to me, especially now, you know? Uh, don't even tell me. I know that there's people that attend this church, and you've told me this, and I don't want to think poorly of you. There's people in our church that don't even own an iron. Like, I don't even want to know that because, uh, like, I don't want to think less of you. Uh, and so, but because I've been conditioned that way, I think. But here's the thing. The Bible says that the Bible is a mirror that shows us what's wrong, and you have a choice. I'm going to go on anyways knowing what's wrong with me, or I'm going to fix what's wrong and what a gift that is for you and I to be able to self-evaluate in light of the Scripture for somebody to point out what's wrong with me. No, again, if I tell you, hey, I don't like this about you, I don't like that about you, then I become judgmental, I become you know, ugly, I become unkind. But when God's Word points out the deficiencies, this is God Himself speaking to you saying, hey, here's some areas where you need to change I'm thankful that the Word of God shows us the path of eternal life. We have hope of heaven based on the gospel, and the Word of God gives us that. Uh, James even tells us that uh, in uh, verse number 21, you receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. You wouldn't know about the salvation that's given to you if it were not for the Word of God and the gospel. The idea that Jesus Christ died for sinners the idea that Jesus Christ died in your place to save you from your sin. The idea that anyone that would come to Jesus in faith and repentance can be saved and born again. You wouldn't know anything about that if it were not for the gospel. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse number 39, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think that you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus says, you want to know that you have eternal life? Search the scriptures. That's why, and again, this will help you as you help other people find Jesus. Sometimes people will say things like, well, I, don't, I just don't feel saved. As if feeling is an emotion. And, and here's the thing, I understand completely and totally where they're coming from. So then we have to say, I don't try to convince people that they're saved. Let's find out what the Bible says then. Let's see if the Bible will say that you're saved. Generally, if you're taking notes tonight, I would encourage you to write down Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again the third day victorious over sin, death, and the grave? Do you believe that he's the only way to heaven? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Are you willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed that aloud with your mouth? If the answer to that is yes, then according to the Word of God, you are saved. That's what Jesus means when he says, search the Scriptures to see if you have eternal life. Friend, you're not saved because your mom told you that you prayed some prayer in vacation Bible school. You're not saved because somebody told you a story of how they prayed over you and you agreed or you repeat it after somebody, you're saved according to the Bible because of faith and repentance. And if you don't know for sure that you're saved, you need to get that squared away tonight. Tonight. But the Bible, the Word of God, gives us the path to eternal light. Next, the Word shows us God's goodness.
creation testifies of the glory of God. We can look at a sunset, we can look at uh, the beach, we can look at palm trees and say that God is good. I remember one of the few times in my life I've actually gone surfing. I was out at uh, Waikiki Beach, and I, I believe I paddled more than I actually stood up on a board, and it just wore out my shoulders. I'm not a surfer. And guy, I don't think guys my size should actually be on surfboards. That's just my thought. Uh, but anyways, uh, I remember that. But I remember sitting out on the surfboard. I, I'm laying down, belly down on a surfboard, and the waves are coming by, and you're kind of waiting for the, the big one to come out up that's going to carry you in. And I look over to the right, and I see Diamond Head. I look over to the left, and I see boats out on the water. I look up on the beach, and I see kids playing and laughing. And I think to myself, God's good. Like, this is awesome. Like, I don't enjoy the whole, like, paddling aspect of it, but I could get used to this whole, like, sitting in the water, just taking in and soaking in God's goodness. And, and that's what the Bible says when it says that all of creation cries out for the glory of God. And so we can look at creation and say, wow, there's some creator out there that's done something totally awesome, and we can, can praise the creator. But the scriptures tell us of the goodness of God. The scriptures tell us that we were once the enemies of God. The scriptures tell us that we're not good people who do bad things. We're terrible people who have no capability to do good things. And that God loves us not because we were lovely. God loves us because he is loving and he is gracious. And the scriptures testify to the grace of God. I don't know what happened in Super Church today, but I loved it. <laughs> I walked out and I saw there was a whiteboard in Super Church. And on one side was the word justice, and on the other side was mercy. And they had a bunch of words that were written down on the, the whiteboard. And I thought to myself, I don't know what went on here, but I love it. You know why? Because so many pe- times we want to talk about God's grace, God's mercy, God's goodness, but we forget about God's justice. And I'm thankful for a children's ministry that doesn't just teach kids cute little Bible stories and we color rainbows because Noah took two by two under the ark. But they teach kids Bible doctrine. They teach while God is, yes, gracious and merciful, he's also just and requires just payment. And so I'm thankful that the music that we sing speaks doctrinally of things like the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. That's a big deal. But we wouldn't know any of those things about God's goodness in face of his justice if it weren't for the scriptures to tell us so. So the word of God will help us to understand the goodness of God. And the more that you build your life around God's word, you will see God more and more and more as good. And the more that you love God's word, the more that you will love God. It just works that way. And again, I don't believe that you can fully love God without loving his word because you don't know what you're loving. You might think like, oh, I love God because you made a beautiful sunset. (laughs) There's so much more to love about God than just a sunset. And I'm thankful for sunsets. I praise God for it. But truly understanding the goodness of God comes from understanding God's goodness, but also the word shows us our brokenness. It shows us our need for a Savior. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse number 7, I wouldn't have known that lust was bad if the law didn't tell me. I wouldn't know my sinful condition if the Bible didn't point it out for me. If you live in the world that we live in today and you're devoid of biblical understanding, you might think that pride is actually a really, really good thing kind of helps you feel good about yourself, kind of makes you stand a little bit taller, kind of gives you a sense of of meaning and well-being in the world. But if you know the Bible, you know that pride is wretched, damaging, destructive, toxic. But you wouldn't know that if if the Word didn't tell you that. And so the Word shows us our own need for a Savior. Paul says that the whole point of the law was to show us It was to be a schoolmaster to teach us that you can't fulfill God's obligations on your own. You'll fall short every single time. The Word shows us that. So you'll find that the more time that you spend in the Word, it'll humble you. 
the more time that you spend in the Word, the more gratitude you'll have for the grace and mercy that you've been given. The more time you spend in the Word, the more you realize, just like the Apostle Paul, I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And when people say things like, you're such a great guy, praise God because I'm not a good guy. And that's not a, a false humility statement. I'm not good. God is good. Without Jesus Christ, there's nothing of any value in my life whatsoever. The only thing that I know about being a husband and a father, I learned from the Bible. The only thing I know about raising my children to love Jesus is what I learned from the Bible. The only thing that I really know about being able to be a productive member of society is what I found from God's word. Otherwise, I'm just like everybody else on this earth trying to get ahead and trying to be number one and look out for number one. But the word of God shows us. And so the problem with the the mirror being the word of God, if we don't like what we see, we don't look for a different mirror. The problem is not with the mirror. The problem is what I see in the mirror. I remember for me several years ago when I, uh, probably, I'd say six or seven years ago, probably six years ago now, I started growing a beard, and my, my beard was kind of patchy in the fact that most of it was brown, but I had a couple of, of gray patches in it. And I, it was like one day I woke up, and my beard was like all white, like overnight. And I was like, what happened? I told my wife, sweetheart, I think my beard like went white overnight. She was like, yeah, that's sweet, huh? that's sweetheart. Uh, no, really, I think it did. And she was like, no, it hasn't. It's been going white for like years. And I was just like, oh, no. And then I began to say things like, should I color it? And she was like, you shouldn't color it. And I was like, but it makes me feel weird. And she's like, you only feel, feel weird because you just noticed it. I know, but I don't like it. And so then I think to myself, I'm going to color it. Because I, 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 here's the thing. I'm not trying to look younger than I am. I just want to look my age. I don't want to look like I'm 65 when I'm 45, you know? I'm not even 45 yet. And so I think to myself, I'm going to color it. And my wife says, well, if you color it, you're going to have to color it like two or three times a week. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, your beard grows so fast, you're going to have white roots. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> and so then I began to think about that. Like, do I really want to commit to coloring like twice a week? And she's like, and then if you decide you want to go back, you're going to have to like let it grow out. It'll be like half black, half white. I was like, this is terrible. And so I, I was so conflicted as to what to do. I thought, I'm just going to let it ride. I'm going to let it go. And, and no lie, probably every other week, my wife can attest to this. I go and I look in the mirror, and I was like, I'm just going to shave it. I'm done with it. The, the big white Santa Claus beard isn't working for me anymore. I'm going to shave it. And then I'll come out the next day, and I'll be like, I'm going to keep it for a while. I'm just going to keep it for a little while. And so, but what's the problem? The problem is I look in the mirror, and I don't like what I see. But here's the thing. Every day when I look in the mirror, my thoughts on what I see change. We can't be like that when we come to the Bible. The Bible shows us who we are, and we either fall in line with what God expects or we change. We don't just find a different mirror. And again, there are people who have tried to find other churches that are a little bit softer on sin. That's not what you need in your life. You need someone to tell you the truth of the Word of God. You need to hear, God hates sin. God loves righteousness, that God chooses to bless those who bless him. You need to hear that in your life. You don't need to find a different mirror. Again, the mirror only shows a reflection of what's already there. Now, our attitude towards the word will determine its importance in our life. We've we've taken a look at that over the last couple of weeks. Again, verse number 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know what's interesting is James changes his metaphor or kind of his uh, picture that he uses for the word from verse number 23 where he says it's a mirror to verse number 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Just break down that statement for a second. We think of the word perfect without error. We would say that the word of God is inerrant. The word of God is inerrant. There's no errors in the Bible. 
Again, anyone who says that the, the Bible's been passed down years over years and there's been so many changes made to it that we can't trust it, they are denying the inerrancy of Scripture. And that is a critical Bible doctrine that we as Bible-believing Christians hold to. Look, if you can't trust the Bible, what do you trust? Yourself? What somebody else told you? So look, I'm going to be really clear. If we cannot trust the Bible, we don't have a leg to stand on. We're no different than any other world religion. If we cannot authoritatively say that this is the inerrant, complete word of God. Has to be. So when he says the perfect law of liberty, we can think of perfect without error, but the word perfect also means complete, without lack. Everything that you need to know. But then we get to the idea of perfect, complete law. Now again, sometimes we don't like that word law because it gives us rules and guidelines to follow. If you misunderstand Christianity like so many do, they say things like, well, Christianity is so restrictive. doesn't allow me to do the things that I want to do. doesn't allow me to live my life the way, way that I want to. That's why James says that this is the perfect law of what? Liberty. The Bible doesn't restrict you. The Bible actually gives you freedom. The Bible liberates you. And when you look into the Word of God as God's perfect law of freedom, this is how you live truly free, that changes everything. Now when I look at this, I say, hey, how do I find freedom? This morning we took a look at how we don't allow the world to define our worth and our value. That's freedom that I don't have to care what other people think about me or what other people say about me. It's interesting that we spend a lot of times teaching our children not to give in to peer pressure when we as adults oftentimes are, are all the ready to do everything we can to please everybody else. But here's the thing, the Word gives us freedom from that. I don't have to worry about what other people think about me. I just need to worry about what God thinks about me. I don't have to live in sin any longer. You know why? Because when I look into the perfect law of liberty, Romans chapter 6 tells me that sin has no more dominion over me. My sin has been defeated not because I'm strong and because I'm tough, but because my Savior has defeated sin, death, and the grave. And those three things no longer have power over me. That's freedom. Oh my goodness, there's something that's coming that's going to kill us all. Yeah, no kidding, I already do that. That brings freedom. I don't care. I really don't. I'm not trying to die. I don't walk in crosswalks when they got the red hand. I don't ride without a seatbelt. But fear, uh, the fear of death doesn't affect me at all. I don't care because my Savior already defeated death. I ain't trying to die, but I don't fear it at all. I don't fear what man can do to me. I fear what God could do to me should he, cho should he choose to do so. And so looking into the perfect law of freedom, liberty, changes our perspective on everything. And our attitude towards the word determines its importance in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13, Paul says this as he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Sometimes people that don't know the Bible and make off-the-cuff statements say things like, well, Paul was just writing a bunch of letters. He never in, in, intended for them to be included in Scripture. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I'm thankful that when you received what we said, you received it as it was the Word of God. Not the thoughts of Paul that could possibly one day be used as Scripture. You received what we said as the Word of God because that's what it was. They didn't just hear Paul preaching and teaching and going, well, that's just what Paul thinks. 
Well, they received it as it was the Word of God. I hope you hear the preaching that comes from this pulpit and you don't think to yourself, well, that's just what pastor thinks. No, it's the Word of God. And you need to receive it as such. And so your attitude towards the Word of God will determine how important it actually is in your life. And so, again, verse number 24, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way straightway, forgetting what manner of man he is. You can take a cursory look at the Word if you want to. You can skim through it and say, oh, that's cute. Oh, that was a good story. Or you can receive it as it is the Word of God, but if you take it as just a cursory look at the Bible, you're not going to be truly helped by it. That's important to understand that any time that you spend in the Word will be beneficial in your life. Look, if you're just going to read the Bible like you would read the newspaper, I'm thankful that you'll at least read it. Now, you're not going to get the full effect of it as you would if you received it as the Word of God. But the book of Romans tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So anytime you spend in Scripture will be beneficial to you. Guaranteed. So I'm not discounting a flippant reading of the Bible. Sometimes we tell our, our kids, you're going to read the Bible even if you don't want to. And I say, fine, I read a chapter, is that good enough? It'll work for today. Because it's better than nothing. But eventually that seed needs to find some good soil that it can lodge into. But if the word simply knowledge, it won't bring about change. And it's soon forgotten. That's what he says. He looks into the, the, the glass, the mirror, and walks away and forgot what he saw. You see, if we don't take the word to heart, and if it's just in our mind, we're going to forget it really quickly because it never made its way to our hearts. And sometimes when we talk about Christians and their understanding of the Christian life and the way that they're living, and oftentimes this is true with teenagers who maybe grew up in a Christian home, will make statements like this. They've got a lot of head knowledge, but it hasn't made it to their heart yet. The idea is they could probably quote Scripture more than the average Christian. They could probably tell you a lot of Bible stories more than the average Christian. But it didn't make a change here yet. I grew up in a church, again, it was a Baptist church. The doctrine was solid. The philosophy of ministry and the impact of it was severely lacking. I knew a lot of Bible stories. I could name off the 12 tribes of Israel. I could tell you any parable and the spiritual meaning behind it. I had a lot of head knowledge. I didn't have any heart knowledge. And what happened? I moved out of my home at 18, at 18 years old, joined the military, and tried to find my way through life. But I didn't have the heart connection yet. I would be 22 years old before I finally connected the two, where I was able to take all the Bible knowledge that I have and actually apply it to my life. And so again, I say, any time in the Word is not wasted time, because there came a point in my life where all the head knowledge I had eventually made its way to my heart. But that's not always the case. And so when we read the Word, spend time in the Word, make sure that you're not just doing it to check it off your to-do list. Make sure that you're not doing it to just fulfill a requirement. Make sure that you're seeking the Word of God. It's important to understand that Bible knowledge and wisdom are not synonymous Bible knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Big difference there. You can know a lot about the Bible. You can quote a lot of Bible verses. But if you're not living it out in your life, you're not impacting your life with biblical wisdom. So, again... Good to know a lot about the Bible. I would encourage you to become a student of the Bible. We, we've got on order this past week. We uh, ran out during the men's conference of some good study Bibles for you. Uh, for me, I, I love the Life Application Study Bible. It's one of the best study Bibles that I found personally for my own use. But you need to do more than just read a chapter a day. You need to study the Bible out. You need to understand what God is saying and what that means for you because it's not enough to just know Bible stories. You need to know, how do I apply this to my life? 
how do I connect this with what God's doing in my life right now? And so it's not enough to just read a lot of the Bible. I often say this, I would rather you read one verse that you can meditate on and apply to your life than 10 chapters that you can't remember by this afternoon, any day. I, I remember several years ago, uh, this would have been probably man, 15 years ago, there was a uh, guest speaker that we had at our church in California that we were at, and he came through and he said, you know, the majority of people have never read the Bible through before, majority of Christians, and that's a true statement. And he says, most people believe something that they haven't even read the whole way through. And that, that also is a true statement. If you've never read the Bible through, you should do it. I, I think I, I read somewhere a long time ago that it, it basically takes, uh, I forget how many hours it is to read the Bible through. It's, it's not a lot. And so he said, did you know that if you spent, uh, I, I think it was the, the statement he made, if you spent an hour in the Bible every day, you could read the entire Bible through in 30 days. And he said, wouldn't that be something to read the Bible through in 30 days? And something in me is just like, challenge accepted. I'm going to do it. And so it came down to, for me, I'm a slow reader, so it was really closer to like 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes at night. And so, man, the first like three or, four, uh, three or four days, I was jamming. I was getting through it. I was like, and so I, again, I'm a data guy. I had myself a little chart. And so three days in, I'm 10% through uh, this, you know. And it felt good to kind of check it off the list and move the needle of my, my chart that I'd made there. And I was, I was jamming on it. And then, as you can imagine, like life happens. And then you miss a day. And then you realize... It's not 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes at night now. Now it's an hour and a half in the morning and an hour and a half at night. But all I have to do is do that once and I'll be back on track. And so what do I do? I get up at like 4 a.m. to read my hour and a half. And that night after everybody went to bed, I stayed up till past midnight getting my hour and a half in. Wake up the next day. I'm exhausted. I can't stay awake for my Bible reading. I think to myself, I'll just do it tonight. And then I realized when it's bedtime, I'm exhausted. Everybody's ready to go to bed. I still have an hour and a half of Bible reading to do before I can go to bed. And then it hit me. Wait a minute. You don't really want to know God's word. You're not really trying to grow in your knowledge of the Bible. You're trying to accomplish a task to say that you did it. Wouldn't you be impressed if I said to you, I read the entire Bible cover to cover in 30 days? You'd be like, wow. Yeah. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> I have no idea what I just read. And if you've ever been there before reading your Bible and you like go to turn the page and you're like, I have no idea what that even said. And then you go back and you skim the headings like in your Bible and say, oh yeah, that's what that was about. Okay. And you go on. That's not the intended purpose because you're going to forget what you learned and it's not going to make its way to your heart. And so that's not the idea. Uh, and honestly, so long story short, for my 30-day Bible challenge, I quit on like day eight. Because I realized my heart wasn't right. I didn't have a hunger and craving for the Word of God. I wanted to accomplish something that, I, that nobody else I knew had ever done before. Why? Pride. And so for me, it just wasn't right for me. And so I pulled the plug on it. But here's the thing. You can take a cursory look at the Word. Or, here's the good part, you can allow the word to examine your own heart. This is where the good stuff happens. It's been said before, we don't read the Bible to examine the Bible, but to allow the Bible to examine us. That's precisely what James is talking about here. That the word is a mirror to examine yourself and say, ooh, that doesn't look right. Something's wrong there. I need to fix that. And so, when we read the Bible with understanding, with wisdom, with a desire to change, with a desire for the Bible to expose us, it takes on a different meaning. That's why James says earlier in this passage, we should be swift to hear. I want to hear what the Bible has to say right away. I want to hear what God's word has to say because if I'm wrong, I want to change. Again, this comes back to having a humble approach to scripture. If there's something wrong in my life, I want to fix it. 
And God, would you point that out to me? Would you allow the word to examine my heart to see if something's not right there? Amen. When you pray and you approach the word like that, God always speaks to you through his word. You see, the Bible is a living book. The word of God is alive. The Bible is not just ancient literature. Our approach to the Bible shouldn't be like reading Homer's Odyssey. It shouldn't be like reading a literature project because the Bible is a living book. Keep your finger here in James. We're going to come back in just a sec. But turn over to the left, if you would, in your Bible, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. This is a verse you should circle, star, underline in your Bible. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is quick. The word quick means alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And verse number 13 ties into that. Again, the Bible's written in context. We don't just grab one verse and make it say what we want it to say. Verse 13 says this, Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's interesting that the Bible, it, the Bible says that the Bible itself is a discerner of the intents of the heart and... God knows everything, and everything is exposed to him. So if we understand this verse in context, the Bible will expose our own hearts, which according to Jeremiah, we can't even fully comprehend ourselves. And it not only reads my emotions, it, re, re, uh, it, it exposes our intentions, our thoughts behind it. The Word of God is alive. It's fascinating to me that as I read through the Psalms, that David, who lived thousands of years ago, feels the exact same way that I did on Wednesday. How is that possible? Because the Word of God is alive. Have you ever opened up your Bible to read through the Word and you get to a verse and you're just like, well, that answers everything. That's what I needed. That's what I was looking for. Why? Because the Word of God is alive. And you say, I I've never had that happen before. I love you, and that's why I'm going to say this. It's because you don't read your Bible enough. Because if you spend enough time in the Word of God, because it's alive, it's going to hit you exactly where you need, how you need it, when you need it, because the Word of God is alive. But here's the thing, too. The Word of God is sharp. Sometimes it's painful. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't need to hear that, but I needed to hear that. I said last week, uh, I, I didn't put a lot of thought into it, but I got a lot of strange looks from our kids when I said, sometimes, you know, the Bible will pat you on the head and sometimes the Bible will punch you in the face. And all the kids started looking around like, what? <laughs> okay, the Bible won't punch you in the face, but the Bible is a sword <laughs> that will poke you really hard sometimes. How about that? And again, if you're confused by that, ask your parents when you get home. Here's what the Bible says. It divides asunder the soul and the spirit. That's our connection to God. And when the Bible speaks of our body, soul, and spirit, our soul is our emotion. It's our personality. It's who we are. And then there's the spirit, which is our connection with God. Our spirit becomes alive when we're saved or born again. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 says. And so... The Word of God comes and divides between our personality, our emotions, and who we are, and who God wants us to be in our connection to God on a spiritual realm. And it cuts right between the two of those. Fascinating stuff. But here's the thing. If I don't read it, it'll never have the opportunity to examine me. And let me say this tonight because I love you. If the only Bible that you get is on Sundays, you're a deficient Christian. 
You're never going to grow the way God intended you to if the only Bible that you get is on Sundays. You need to be in the Word every single day. You need to be a Bible scholar. You need to be a theologian. You need to be able to discern truth from error. You need to be in the Bible. If you go back to James chapter 1, not only is the Word of God alive, the Word brings clarity. That's why, again, when, if you want to attend a church that makes you confused every time you leave when somebody preaches the Bible, they're just not doing a good job of preaching the Bible because God wants clarity for you. God's not the author of confusion, but he's the author of, pe- author of peace. God doesn't want you to walk out of church scratching your head going like, what am I supposed to do with that? That's why for me, every time I open the Bible, first of all, we've got to point back to Jesus and we have to point back to the gospel. But secondly, here's what you need to do with what you've heard today. I don't want anybody to ever leave confused. I've said before, if if somebody comes to Huikala and they never come back, I want them to be able to say, when I was there, they loved me and they preached the Bible. Clarity. They didn't walk out of here going like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with Jesus. I've been in church services before where people talk about you need Jesus in your life and Jesus will do this and Jesus will do that. And then at the end of it, it's just like, well, how do I get that? The word will bring clarity for, for us. As the Bible's preached, as the Bible's taught, it'll open our eyes. Things will begin to make a lot more sense because God's word brings clarity because it's the perfect law of liberty. And again, the word of God judges our thoughts and our hearts Man, I can't tell you how many times the Bible has pointed out to me where I am wrong. Now, again, when you read the Bible, you have to read the Bible with wisdom. Again, you have to be discerning when it comes to the Bible. And be very, very careful of building your life around a story in the Bible. I've known people before who are like, again, the story of David, you know, I need to fight my giants. Be careful with that. That's not really what that's about, fighting your giants. And again, you can find something for anything you want in the Bible to do what you want it to do. So we don't follow stories in the Bible to determine how we live our lives. For example, I just started reading the book of uh, 1 Kings this past week. Solomon's just taken the throne. His brother had tried to take the throne. David says he can't. Solomon's going to take it instead. And so the brother who had tried to take the throne away from Solomon had gone to Bathsheba, who was Solomon's mom. And he basically said, hey, mom, could you talk to Solomon and see if he'll give me one of dad's servants as my wife? Just ask him. And so Bathsheba goes, okay. And so she goes to Solomon. She says, Solomon, would you do me a favor? He says, anything you ask, mom. She said, don't say no, whatever I ask you. And he says, I I would never tell you no, mom. Would you give your brother, your dad's servant, as a wife? And Solomon says, I can't believe you would ask me that. And he says, servants, get over here. Go find my brother and kill him. And so brother runs to the temple, holds on to the horns of the altar. They come back to Solomon and they say, hey, he's in the temple. He's holding on the horns of the altar. What are we supposed to do? And Solomon said, kill him where he lays. And they did. He went in the temple and killed his brother. Now, every time I have a conflict with somebody, I'm going to have them put to death because that's what Solomon would do, right? No, you can't take a story out of the Bible and build your life on a story. Was Solomon wrong for murdering him? For sure. So we can't, again, take stories and build truth off of that. But again, I want to take Bible doctrine. I want to take Bible commands. I want to take Bible wisdom. I want to take Bible principles, and I want to build my life around those things. And the word of God will judge our thoughts and judge our hearts. Why are you doing that? What, what's the benefit of that? And so many times the Bible will reveal in us what's wrong. And I don't know about your life, but in mine, so many times what the Bible reveals that's wrong in my life is pride. So many times. Why do you feel the need to be right? Why do you feel the need to correct that person? Why do you need to feel the need to, to have the last word in that conversation so many times pride and the bible reveals that to me time and time again so the question for you tonight is when you're faced with truth capital t truth what do you do with it you have a choice 
Everything in the Christian life comes back to choices, and it's my job as a pastor to help you make better choices. The Bible says you should change. What will you do? You can say, I'm just going to ride it out as long as I can. I don't have to change right now. Everything's going okay. Or you can say, I choose to obey the Word of God. Again, knowledge is important, but it isn't enough. So again, I want you to know the Word, but more than I want you to know the Word, I want you to obey the Word. The Bible gives a little bit of leeway for ignorance. Paul talks about some of the things he did before he was saved, and he said, I did those in ignorance and unbelief. I didn't know any better. I think some of us, when we're new in the faith and new in in understanding the Bible, there's some things that we do that are are kind of dumb that we didn't really know any better because we were ignorant. Maybe you haven't been discipled. Maybe you haven't had the opportunity to grow in your faith and things like that. That's why the Bible says if somebody knows to do good and they don't do it, it's a sin. And so it kind of gives a little bit, I say wiggle room, for the fact that you do foolish things but it's because you didn't know any better. But to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's a sin. But here's the thing. If you've been saved for more than 90 days, you don't really have a lot of excuse for ignorance. You need to become a student of the Bible. Again, at Huicala, you'll hear me say this with my dying breath. We place a high value on discipleship, teaching you what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I was talking with somebody today after the service, and they said, We've, I've been in church my entire life, decades she's been in church, and she said, I've never been in a church that was ever intentional about discipleship. You kind of just hoped people would pick up on it. That's not the biblical model. 2 Timothy 2, 2, take what you've learned, pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so, again, some of you need to go through discipleship because you need to know the Bible so that you can obey the Bible. Some of you that maybe have already gone through discipleship and are living a life that's worth modeling for other people should lead another person through discipleship. But again, here's the thing at the end of the day. It's not enough to just know a lot of stuff about the Bible. You've got to obey it. And if you hear the word and you don't obey it, you are a fool. Fool. I have a friend who I love dearly. Uh, he, he's also a pastor. He uses words like stupid, dumb, idiot, knucklehead. And I said to him, use better words like Bible words because when you say so-and-so stupid, that's just an insult. But to say that person is a fool, I can look to the Bible and identify, I agree, they're a fool. And so if you choose not to obey the Bible, I could say you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're dumb, but I won't. I'll just say you're a fool. And all you have to do is spend 10 minutes in the Bible and find out what happens to the fool. It doesn't end well. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. It's our last passage we're going to look at tonight, Luke chapter 6. I was talking with some friends before the service, and I said, I don't think tonight's service will be too long. I only have a page and a half of notes. Man, was I wrong. Um, But again, (laughs) there are very few things in life that I'm passionate about, like I'm passionate about the Bible. There's no other book in the world that's ever changed the course of world history like the Bible has. There's nothing. Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse number 47 is a... uh, Familiar parable that Jesus tells. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I'll, you sh- I'll show you whom he's like. Verse 48, he's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently on that house, he could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, it's like a man without the foundation, built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently. Immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. We teach our kids a song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You guys know that song? We'll sing it quickly. 
Okay. The wise man built it. Stop. Some of you aren't doing the hand motions. That hurts my heart. The wise man built his house upon. There's some people, three teenage girls that I see especially, that aren't doing the hand motions. One of them I have control over, the other two I don't. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went. That was always the fun part of being a kid. Kids love that part, right? So, build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ and will come down. The blessings will come down as the prayers go up. The blessings will come down as the prayers go up. The blessings will come down as the prayers go up. So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself a hand. You did good. So here's what we teach our kids. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. So build your house on Jesus because Jesus is a solid foundation. That when the rains come, your house will stand firm because it's built upon Jesus Christ. Now, is that a true statement? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But that's not what this parable says. What is up with my kids tonight? <laughs> Do you want to sing again? Is that the thing? Here's the thing. Great song. I agree 100% with the application, but that's not the point of this parable. We don't build our house on Jesus Christ, who is the solid foundation. The solid foundation, according to Jesus' parable, is one word, and it's what? Obedience. Obedience. If we take a look at this, this verse here, Luke chapter uh, 6, verse number 47. Uh, whosoever, verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you who he's like. He's like a man who built his house on a solid rock. He heard the word and he obeyed the word. So the key here, the solid rock that we're building our life on, well, the song, I, I 100% support singing that song. Build your life on Jesus, but that's not what the parable says. The parable says you're building your house on obedience to the Word of God. That's the solid foundation. But if you don't want to build your house on the solid foundation of obedience, you're free to make your own choices and to do your own thing. You can look in the mirror and not like what you see and go on with your life anyways. The Bible can examine your life and tell you to change and you can disobey and rebel. And here's what will happen. According to Jesus himself, verse number 49, the stream beat vehemently against it and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. You want to disobey the word of God, your life will be destroyed. Are you trying to make me afraid? No, I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. Your fall will be great, and great will be the ruin of your life. So what should we do? Obey the Bible. If you hear the word and do it, you're wise. The Bible commands us to walk in wisdom. Commands. And here's what James says. I'm going to flip back to James chapter 1. Verse 25, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So if you hear the word and do it, you'll be blessed. Simple as that. I don't think there's anybody here today that would say, I don't really want God's blessing on my life. All of us do. You'll never have the blessings of God when you live in rebellion to the word of God. When you choose to rebel against the Bible, 
you're forfeiting so much. You're forfeiting God's protection. You're forfeiting God's blessings. You're forfeiting God's peace. You're forfeiting love. For what? Because you know better, because you want to do your own thing, because you want to go your own way? It doesn't work that way. So, my challenge to you tonight, become a student of the Word of God and allow the Word of God to change your life. Submit yourself to the authority of this book. (laughs) Whatever the Bible tells me to do, I'm just going to do it. Whatever I'm challenged with, I choose to obey. And here's the thing, you'll be blessed. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.